Tonight, I want to start off with to do something a little special. We did a few weeks ago. Um, some of you remember we prayed for a little girl. Her name is Esther. She's here tonight. That little girl that had that severe epileptic seizure, she's here tonight with her mom. Can you hold her up for a minute, Don? Are you there? You got her somewhere? I know you. I saw you walk in. There she is back there. So you make sure to say hi to them after the service, okay? That's a little miracle right there that she's able to be here tonight. Tonight, I'm going to have you pray for another miracle. I got an email this afternoon from a dear friend in Costa Rica um, who I've known for years. His name is Carlos Gomez, and he was trying to set up a time where we could meet because he's going to be here in the States in a few weeks. And then he asked me, had I heard of Philippe's son? And I said, no. So he proceeded to tell me, 22 years ago, I made my first trip to Honduras to speak there, and I've traveled there since many, many times. I think I've been there almost 17. They're very, very dear to me in San Pedro Sula. But some of you may or may not know this, but Honduras has become the murder capital of the world. It's an unbelievably difficult place right now. So the other day, Philippe's son, Omero, is his name, Omero Ferrah, Ferrah. Um, he's 23, just newly married, loves the Lord, drove home from work, and there was a gang, a hit squad there in front of his wife. They shot him down, eight bullets. He's in the hospital right now. This happened Monday. And he's in the hospital in intensive care. And uh, the prognosis is not good. Um, I don't know that he'll ever fully recover. We just don't know. But it's a very, very difficult situation. So I wrote my friend today and told him that I would have all of us pray for him. So I'd like you to take just a minute with me, if you would. And with three people sitting next to you or four, it doesn't matter. Would you just pray for Omero Farah is his name, Omero, okay? And just ask the Lord to intervene in that situation, to comfort his wife, to bring healing, to give the doctors grace and wisdom, and use the surgeries they've done uh, that he might recover his life. So please go ahead and pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you tonight, Lord, that you're the Lord over every particle in the entire universe. We don't, I don't understand, Lord, sometimes the things that happen in the world we live in. I grasp the fact that we live in an evil world. And I thank you, Lord, that someday you're going to come back and make everything right. And I thank you, Lord, that this dear young man and his wife know Jesus Christ. I thank you you had the opportunity to grow up in a family who taught him about Jesus. But, Father, I know this is just a devastating event in their young life and, and for the family members. I know how much Felipe and Siapa love their son. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would intervene. Not only, Lord, did they shoot him down, but then a day later, the gang showed up the hospital, tried to kill him there, and they were arrested. I don't know what they were thinking. I, it's just an unbelievable set of circumstances, Lord. I just ask you, Father, that you would spare his life. I pray, Lord, somehow miraculously that he would recover, that, Lord, you give the doctors wisdom and grace you watch over him right now in intensive care. Be with his wife. Comfort her, Lord, as I'm sure it was devastating because it happened when he arrived home from work right in front of her. She looked outside the window. They shot him down. Lord, how much in a moment our whole life can change. Heavenly Father, I just pray for his family, for Foncho, who's one of the pastors of the church. They go to his uncle that I know very well. I just ask you, God, to sustain this family. And I pray, Lord, for the nation of Honduras. 
It's just been a tragedy after tragedy after tragedy, Lord. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that your gospel would spread and more and more people would come to know the living Savior who transforms lives. Father, I ask you tonight that you'd speak to us. I ask you tonight, Lord, that you'd open our hearts to be responsive to the word of God. I ask you tonight, Lord, you'd transform us and help us become the men and women that you want us to be as couples, as husband and wife, that we would demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ to one another on a daily basis, that our children would be incubated in an environment in which the reality of Jesus is seen in the way mom and dad live together, that our marriage would be a good advertisement for the Christian faith. We ask you to guide this night, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I know it may seem trite after a, a prayer like that, praying that we're going to talk about marriage, but we're going to because your marriage is very, very significant. For many people, you may or may not know this, but lots of people don't make it in marriage. Often in the weddings that I've done, in part of the ceremony, I will often say, not always, to the young couple that you're beginning a journey today that almost half the people who start never finish. Imagine for a moment if the airlines, if about every third plane fell out of the sky <laughs> across the United States, every day in the nation, they'd shut down the airports. Someone would stop and go, wow, what is going on? We have to solve this. And yet, a broken marriage is devastating to the individuals in the marriage, and it's devastating to the children. God can change that. He can help us. But God can also help us have a good marriage. And so what I want to do over the next several weeks is, is entitled, this message is entitled Simple Ways to Make Your Marriage Much Better. Kathy and I, it was interesting, uh, about a week ago, she and I looked at each other and realized that on that particular day, it was 40 years ago that we met. 40 years. <clears throat> Forty years ago, we met under the awning of this little popcorn stand at Twin Lakes Bible Camp in Rockwell City. We'd come from different points in Iowa at different stages in our life, but both of us committed to Jesus. We'd given our lives to Jesus, me a year earlier, her just a few weeks before. <clears throat> and we met each other as it would seem randomly, although nothing's random with God. And God brought us together and Within a couple weeks, we began writing letters, and I saved all those letters. I have them in a sealed baggie, and I went down in the basement, and I got them out of my treasure box, and for the next week and a half, about every day, I just read two or three of the letters that Kathy had written to me. I, I couldn't read mine because they were stolen by a family member, <laughs> but um, that's okay. Maybe they got saved reading them. Who knows? <clears throat> but it was so remarkable, stepping back in time and seeing the way God was working in Kathy's heart and seeing the love she had for the Word of God. The Word of God has been the foundation of our life for the last 40 years. The foundation. And all the insights that I've gained over the years and all the things that I learned and did and practiced in my marriage all had their foundation in the Word of God. And so what I want to do this evening and in this series is take the doctrinal teachings of the Word of God and put flesh on the bones and help you understand what it means in real life. 
So here's how we're going to start. We're just going to take a step back and look at reality. I want to give you an insight into marital reality for a moment, okay? <clears throat> Most of you will probably relate to this. <clears throat> Most of you here that are married, you've already got children. Now, not all of you have children yet, but many of you do. By the way, if you're single, this would be real important information for you to know. You'd be going to be very glad you heard this. Trust me, you're going to be very glad. <clears throat> so... You've got a couple children, and in most cases, mom is home all day with the kids, and she's expending a lot of emotional energy, a lot of physical energy, as she tries to raise the children. Dad, in most cases, is off at work. And dad's out there, to be honest, in a dog-eat-dog world, much of the time, unfortunately, dealing with foolish and ungodly people. <clears throat> Somebody, if Paul, could you give me a thing of water? <clears throat> Thank you. It's, um, some of you have very good jobs, but I know all the jobs that I had before I started pastoring, I worked for some really awful people. And the way people were treated on the jobs was anything but Christian. <clears throat> so at the end of the day, you come home, you come home to mom, she's tired, you're tired, and here's, here's what I found myself early on in my marriage, and I've observed this with others as I've counseled hundreds of marriages. It's really easy to just come home and just kind of veg out. Thank you very much, Paul. This is going to make noise. I'm sorry. Seven degrees in here. I apologize. It's 77 degrees in here. So you should feel cool by looking at me in this coat. You should go, wow, I feel cool compared to him. The air conditioner broke last week, and they're trying to get it fixed. And it's a miracle that 67 degrees on November 4th in Minnesota. It's usually 40. I'm looking forward to 40. But anyway, that's beside the point. <clears throat> so you come home, and to be real honest, here's the way I put it. It's real easy to give your spouse leftovers. Leftovers. Leftovers of the day. It's easy to be a little bit grouchy, a little bit distant, a little bit tired, a little bit, oh, worn down. And I've noticed this with both husbands and wives. I know that I've noticed that often wives are far more kind and considerate to their children. Let's use the word sweet. Sweet than they are to the husband. And I noticed to the, to the dad or their husband is often more kind and considerate to their fellow employees or customers than to their wives. I remember how convicting it would be sometimes because I always have worked from home. And I would be on the phone. Of course, my whole family... They couldn't hear the whole conversation, but as I would answer the phone, they could hear the polite way that I answered and the sweet way I'm interacting with people, and, you know, you're just trying to give your very best, and then you stop for a moment and ask yourself, do I speak that way with my family? Do I speak that way with my wife? And sometimes she would mention that to me. She said, you know, Mark, I know that you love me and all of that, but <clears throat> just an observation, boy, you tend to be more sweet and polite and when you're speaking to others and sometimes you are to me. Sometimes you use shorthand, mark shorthand. So I began to learn a lot of lessons. I began to think a lot about my situation with my wife, how I interact with my wife. And I'm, so I'm going to go through some of these things with you tonight. Second thing that I want to talk about, about reality, is this. I think that many of us forget why God created marriage. 
Does anybody remember what it says in Genesis? God made the world, he made the stars, he made the animals, and he made man, man, alone, man. <laughs> and then he looked around and he said, gee, I don't see a helper suitable for man. It is not good that man is alone. God created woman, man, for companionship, marital companionship. And we forget that. We forget that God created this, this wonderful institution we call marriage for emotional and physical closeness and deep, meaningful friendship. Now, I'm going to walk you through something, and I hope it'll make sense to you. I'm pretty sure it will. I've got my data right, but, but I want to ask you this question. Is your spouse currently, right now, honestly, don't answer out loud, your best friend? Is your spouse your best friend? Do you see them as your only BFF forever? If not, why? Why? Are you actually letting your friendships with others get in the way of closeness and friendship to your spouse? Is it possible? I want you to think about this for a moment. Then I'm going to give you some stats. They're pretty mind-blowing. I didn't make them up. They just came out. Is it possible that the new technologies are interfering with your marriage relationship? Did you know? Listen, ladies. Listen to me. So... We talk to the men about pornography, and we're going to keep talking to the men about pornography. But you know what your issue is? The average woman, the average woman spends 12 hours more a week with her smartphone on it than her partner. That's a fact. Bashalom did a gigantic survey of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of women. And all of a sudden, Here's what's happening. Is it possible that all the people who now expect you to get back to them, either through a text or a phone call or an email, are interfering with the precious time you need with your spouse and the connectedness that you need with them? Think of it like this, without realizing it. Are you getting your emotional needs met by other people because you're not really getting those needs met at home by your spouse? I see it happening. I see it happening all over. And in fact, <clears throat> here's another reason it happens. Well, well, he's more difficult than my girlfriends. See, that it's easier this way. I have seen social media. I have counseled people in which social media, Facebook, and other social media is interfering tremendously in the marriage relationship with your friendship because all of a sudden, all of a sudden, <clears throat> Hundreds of people are vying for your attention. This was something Kathy and I never, ever, one, allowed to happen, but two, had to contend with. <clears throat> I'm going to share with you a passage in Scripture you may not even know is there. <clears throat> but, but ladies, one of the keys to the success of your marriage is found in Titus chapter 2. I'm going to try to quote it from the Phillips Version. It says, Older women train the younger women to be loving wives, to love their husband, to love their children, to be workers and focused at home, to be good-natured and submissive so that they might be a good advertisement for the Christian faith. 
Our marriages, you see, were meant to be a good advertisement for Christianity. And especially to our children. What does an advertisement do? What's the point of an advertisement? It causes you to go out and purchase that which was just demonstrated to you. Do you remember when I told you during the series, How Should a Man Really Love His Wife? And I told you that one of the greatest gifts God intended to give to a child was that his father, a father, a husband's love for his wife was to be a living demonstration of the gospel, of a man laying down his life for his wife. It's a reenactment of the greatest love story ever told. And if your children, as they get older, and they get about 12 and 13, if they, when they start to think about love, and we all know they do, and they don't think to themselves, wow, when I grow up and I'm old enough to get married, I want the kind of love mom and dad have. I want what they have. Or would they rather have Tristan in the soul? Have you ever thought about that? This is profound. I'm putting these all together for you in a nice, neat package. We have to wake up, wake up, wake up, and recognize marriage can be so much better than what most people think. It can be so much better, but it's got to become a meaningful priority, a meaningful priority. It is so important, ladies, that you look to companionship with your husband and not your girlfriends, not your girlfriends. Husbands, it's so important that you understand God gave you a wife so you would not be alone, lonely and disconnected rather than fill your life up with other substitutes. I know so many men who are emotionally distant from their wife. They think to themselves, I don't have any friends. Here's the reality. I love the church. I need the church. You, you, you You know my passion for the church. The church is you, the people. But I want you to know this. If I never had another friend in my, in my entire life, I have that girl. And she's the best thing in my life ever. She's the best thing in my life. And we're close. And we, we have gone through things that no one else can possibly imagine. And we have shared things on a level you can't possibly imagine. And it's really possible. You know what the Bible says about being a Christian? The path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter until the full day. What that's saying is, as we walk with God, as we walk in the light of God, as we practice our Christianity on our spouse, it gets better and better and better and better. That's reality. That's my reality. This is why Christianity is the most exciting thing in the world to me and why at 60 I share as passionately about it as I did when I was 30. It has not lost its luster to me with all the trials and difficulties. It has not lost its luster because I grasp experientially what God can do in our lives. This is so important. An enjoyable marriage comes down to lots of little things done over and over again. And what I want to do is pass on to you some of these things Kathy and I have learned as we've reflected on the Bible's teachings that have been immensely helpful. Now, what I'm going to do really quickly is I'm going to share with you three passages, okay? You can take these with you. If, By the way, if anyone wants these notes, you wrote me last week, a number of you, I'd be glad to send them to you so you have them. But let me read you the scriptures, and then we're going to extrapolate what they mean in life. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. 
Let everyone see that you are unselfish and considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Wow. You know what that verse is saying? What's your reputation? How are you known by others? And especially your spouse. Are you known by them as unselfish and considerate? We're going to get into that. Now listen to James chapter 3, verse 13 through 17. Who is wise and truly understanding among you? Let them show it by their good deeds and their good life. Done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Now listen to this. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, and impartial and sincere. Wow. I want to be married to that girl. I want to be married to that guy. Peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy. Why do we need mercy? Because your spouse sins against you. And what do we need in that situation? Love covers a multitude of mistakes. Or do we beat them up about it? Do we get bitter about it? Do we get resentful about it? Do we get angry about it? And do we nurse that anger until it becomes toxic bitterness in our relationship? And we become emotionally more and more and more detached. Now, listen to this passage in Peter. This is one I go over often. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, let all of you be harmonious, sympathetic to one another, loving as brothers, deeply compassionate, humble-minded, and never return evil for evil. To the contrary, give a blessing instead. So what does all this mean? First thing I want you to understand is this. We need, to, we need to just practice our Christianity on one another. We need to practice our Christianity. Ask yourself this question. Have you mastered the divine arts? We have some people here in martial arts. <clears throat> Our whole family, my children, I should say, all were in martial arts for almost nine years. They all have their second-degree black belts in karate. They had to master so much. At one time, we had 122 trophies at our house. One day we put them all outside, took a picture, threw them all away. With the kids' permission, threw them all away. The point was what you gained, not the trophies. Here's the picture. They're gone. We don't have a storage room to put them in. Have you mastered the divine arts? Is it your focus and passionate, intentional, serious, intentional effort to master the divine arts of God? It ought to be. And this is what makes marriage wonderful. A bad marriage is not a good advertisement of the Christian faith to your children. Always remember that. So so we're going to begin going through these. I'm not going to have time to get through them tonight. But let me just give you again, these are simple things. They're simple, they're doable, they're replicable, and you can do these. Okay? First one, 
Be thoughtful and considerate. Be polite. Say thank you and please. Little things mean a lot in marriage. Again, to how many times I might say to Kathy, sweetheart, could you please cut me an apple? I don't ask her that every day. In fact, often I'm getting her something. I don't see Kathy as my slave. You've heard me share this before. I see myself as hers. But because both of us live under the scripture, under the word of God, Jesus said, the greatest among you will be the servant of all. When that's always been my mentality in marriage. I don't think of myself as the big poobah, grand poobah of the family. I see myself as the servant. And one of the ways we can serve is be thoughtful. Are you thoughtful? Are you considerate? Are you considerate? There are all kinds of ways to be thoughtful and considerate. I'll share with you one that for Kathy and I, I know it's a big deal, and I want to make this really clear. Many of you, this would not be considerate in your world. You would think, some of you ladies would go, that's not considerate at all. That's fine. See, each marriage is unique. So my wife and I were in a terrible car accident many years ago, and as a result of that accident, my wife has severe pain. It's been now uh, 37 years ago, 38 years ago, and it's just recurring all the time. She doesn't get much sleep. I, on the other hand, am a light sleeper. I toss, I turn, I cough at night. I get about five times to go to the bathroom. So for many years, I simply have a cot in a different bedroom so she can have the room to herself, quiet, calm, with a little noisemaker that she likes. In our world, that's considerate. I don't think anything of it. It doesn't bother me. I don't ever lay in there by myself thinking, I'm so alone. This is so unfair. (laughs) Other guys get to sleep with their wife. I just don't think that way. That's not how I think that way. Now, I'm not saying, I want to make this really clear. You don't have to do that. But you are going to have to find some ways in your own relationship to be considerate of their needs. How about when you get up in the morning, in the bathroom? Are you quiet? Are you knocking everything around? Are you loud? Are you peaceful? Maybe you can get coffee ready for them in the morning. And it's there waiting for them when they get up. There have been times I've done that. Maybe there's, because Kathy's delicate, because her back is delicate, I'm very, very careful with a lot of things that I do. And I do extra things around the house so she does not have to do them. I'm not saying, other husbands, you got to vacuum, you got to go get the groceries, you got to do this. No, but it's my way of saying to my woman, I am considerate of you. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? Nod your head there. Nod. Okay, very good. Very good. Okay? You know what considerate means? It means careful not to cause inconvenience or hurt to others. I wasn't very good at this when I first got married, to be really honest. I was terrible at it. When I first got married, the verse in James, the bad part of James was true of me. I was full of of selfish ambition. I wanted what I wanted, and I wanted it now. I wanted things to be my way. I had, as some of you know, a few weeks ago when I talked about the self-sabotaging life and I talked about expectations, I had very, very clear, specific expectations of what I really hoped my marriage would be. I look back now, and I don't know who that guy was. Sad. I praise God my wife didn't leave him. that's That's what I say. I praise God my wife didn't leave him. And 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 I'm going to get to this, that she was patient with me, and she prayed for me, and she believed in me, and she allowed me to grow and blossom and learn. 
We've got to learn to put ourselves in their shoes and be considerate for them. Number two, be pleasant and cheerful. Do you go to work a grouch? Why do we live at home this way? Ask yourself, I mean, to be honest, sometimes the way we talk at home, if we talk that way to people at work, um, we get written up and eventually fired. That's really the truth. Can't we be pleasant at home? Can't we be cheerful? Did you know the Bible says a cheerful heart has a continual feast? A cheerful heart. Now, I'm going to tell you a little secret about me. This, when I got married and isn't as a young man, this did not come natural to me. I am a pessimist and a realist, and I see the world in all of its ugly realities. <clears throat> and as I began to walk with the Lord, I began to see that the Lord himself wanted to change my personality. Did you know in Ephesians, it says to be renewed and changed in your personality? Oh my gosh, Mark, my personality is sacred. No, he wants to make you like Christ. And I began to realize as I reflected in my life that, you know, Mark, <clears throat> you can be really moody. And you're not always cheerful. And Mark, the Bible says to rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord. The Bible says a cheerful heart is good medicine. The Bible says a cheerful heart has a continual feast. Gee whiz, Mark, you might actually feel better more often emotionally if you obeyed the Bible and you were cheerful. Okay, so what do I have cheerful about? Well, it might help if you were more thankful, Mark, and you counted your blessings instead of your potholes. I was a pothole counter. I knew every bad thing that happened in my day and my mind naturally ruminated on those things. And I had to learn to realize that is called sin. S-I-N. It's wrong. And then I had to learn to choose this. And as I began to learn to do it over and over and over and over, Wow, dads, can I tell you something? We, we can set a tremendous, we can create a wonderful environment in our home or a terrible environment in our home depending on our attitude. And sometimes we're just like a cold winter blowing wind and we just freeze out the family. All of us have a rough day. We're going to get to that. How do we deal with that? But let's talk about being pleasant. Can we wake up in the morning like and be happy? Can we wake up and we have lots to be happy about. We have lots to be thankful for. We can see, we can hear, we can talk, we have food to eat, we have a roof over our head, we have warm water to bathe in, we can drink water right from the faucet, even if you have a Berkey or you like filtered water, but you can drink it right from the faucet and not get a parasite in Honduras. You can't do that. I'd been there, accidentally got one, and I thought I would die for three whole weeks. And things came out of my body that were really scary. They were really scary. And they misdiagnosed me when I first went in, and they gave me the wrong med, and then scarier things came out of my body. And I laid moaning on a bed in pain, grabbing my stomach for several weeks. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for the water. Thank you, God, we have clean air to breathe. I mean, we could just go on and on and on. Third thing, and this is where I'm going to end tonight, okay, because i got a lot of stuff. Make your marriage an enjoyable experience as much as possible. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever stepped back and thought, today I'm going to make my marriage an enjoyable experience? 
I'm going to make it an enjoyable experience. I'm going to change my attitude about it today. I'm going to be thankful for them today. I'm going to show love to them today. And here's one of the secrets. Find out what pleases them and do it. We don't even think in those terms, do we? But it's, it's not hard. Find out what pleases them. I am so glad that my wife has found out what pleases me. I could stand up here tonight and brag on this girl in so many ways. <clears throat> Let me give you a couple examples. <clears throat> I don't know why. I don't know why I'm this way. I mean, you know, it's probably a, it's a creation thing. I'll blame it on God. This is not a sin thing. This is just the way I am. Certain smells, I can taste what you don't even smell. I can actually taste it on my tongue. I can taste it. So, so I asked my wife some time ago, a long time ago, can we please buy everything in this house unscented? I cannot deal with the scents. Those candles, you open the door, I, I feel like I'm going to vomit. And so uh, the hairspray she gets is all natural, has no smell. The only thing we use to smell is a can of real orange peels for deodorizer. I love the smell of oranges. I can deal with oranges. One time I was in a meeting and someone had some wonderful aftershave on. It wasn't their fault. They had no idea. It's never happened to me before. But it was so hot down there and the smell across them I could taste in my mouth. I had to excuse myself and walk up to the bathroom. I, I lied and said I had to go to the bathroom because I didn't want to embarrass anybody and just take a bunch of deep breaths because I thought I was going to throw up. Sometimes, you know, when you take out that hand sanitizer and Kathy, we're in the van and we're driving and she takes it out and I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. That's, that's how it feels. I, I don't... I don't want to be this way. <laughs> She's so thoughtful. She goes, well, sure, Mark. I won't wear any perfume. I won't wear whatever. I'm like, because I love the way you smell. Just natural. It's great with me. <laughs> There's things Kathy <clears throat> has me do. She doesn't like to drive the van with the windows. You know what I night like tonight? I just want to put the windows down, man, and we're just driving. And Kathy's like, Mark, it, it bothers my eyes and my contacts, and can you please put the window up? And I remember when we were first married, I was like, that's pathetic. That's pathetic. What do you mean? Put the it's beautiful outside. And I'd argue about the windows. There we go. Argue, 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 argue. For what? In 100 years, is it going to matter that the windows were up and we used the air conditioning instead and it cost me, you know, 0.5 cents more per mile? No, it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter. Isn't it amazing sometimes, couples? Have you ever ste just stepped back and thought, what are the things we argue about sometimes? You're like, wow, we need to get a life. <laughs> we just argue sometimes about the silliest, silliest things. Find out what pleases them. Uh, you know, as you grow, and I want you to know this is a growing thing. As we mature, I really enjoy trying to please Kathy. I enjoy that. And I've watched her grow in that as well. And when we do, what does it do? It just makes your marriage much more enjoyable. I enjoy life with that woman. I want you to ask yourself this question as you leave tonight. <clears throat> I want you to be honest with yourself. Am I enjoyable to live with? <clears throat> Am I enjoyable to live with? <clears throat> does my spouse really enjoy me? <clears throat> do I even know what pleases them? I could, I could sit here all night talk about intimacy. Do I even know what pleases them? Do I even care? Do I even care? Do I know what pleases them in, in the living room? Well, you know, it, 
I have these red plates. I have three plastic red plates. I hate red. I don't like red, but that's all they had. And, I, and so I use these red plates, and then I just wipe them off. I eat very basic every day. I don't, we don't do nothing fancy. You do whatever you want to do. That's just what I do. You don't have to do what I do. And Kathy said, Mark, could you do me a favor? Can you please not leave the red plates lay around? I just hate the color red. I do too, Kathy. I hate them too. So, you know, I do, and then I try to stack them rather than leave them lay around. Because sometimes I have left them lay around. Or maybe it's your socks, or maybe it's this, or maybe it's that. You know, it's like, yes, yes, sweetheart, I can do that. That's not too much to ask. I want to please you, and it will make our life more enjoyable. Okay, please, will you come back? Because I got 15 more things. Okay, will you do that? Will you promise me next week you'll come back? Bring a friend who needs to hear this, because I promise you, these are things you can do, and they're the Bible in action. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight for your goodness, your faithfulness, your love, your mercy. Lord, I just bless you so much for the things you teach us from the word of God. I thank you, Lord, for the things you taught me and Kathy. I thank you you didn't give up on us. You could have so easily quit on me, Lord. I was so stubborn as a young man, at times so hard-hearted. And I just thank you, Lord, you kept working in my life and working in my life and working in my life, and I bless you for it. Thank you for this marriage that Kathy and I coming up on 38 years pretty soon. It's such a blessing. Transform us, Lord. Give us eager hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.